0: It was a foggy, cloudy morning, and a dun-coloured veil hung over the housetops, looking like the reflection of the mud-coloured streets beneath. My companion was in the best of spirits, and prattled away about Cremona fiddles and the difference between a Stradivarius and an Amati. As for myself, I was silent, for the dull weather and the melancholy business upon which we were engaged depressed my spirits. "'You don't seem to give much thought to the matter in hand,' I said at last, interrupting Holmes' musical disquisition. "'No data yet,' he answered. "'It is a capital mistake to theorise before you have all the evidence. It biases the judgment.' "'You will have your data soon,' I remarked, pointing with my finger. "'This is the Brixton Road, and that is the house, if I am not very much mistaken. "'So it is. Stop, driver, stop!' We were still a hundred yards or so from it, but he insisted upon our alighting, and we finished our journey upon foot. Number three. Lauriston Gardens wore an ill-omened and minatory look. It was one of four which stood back some little way from the street, two being occupied and two empty— The latter looked out with three tiers of vacant melancholy windows, which were blank and dreary, save that here and there a toulet card had developed like a cataract upon the bleared panes. A small garden, sprinkled over with a scattered eruption of sickly plants, separated each of these houses from the street, and was traversed by a narrow pathway, yellowish in colour, and consisting apparently of a mixture of clay and gravel. The whole place was very sloppy from the rain which had fallen through the night, The garden was bounded by a three-foot brick wall, with a fringe of wood rails upon the top, and against this wall was leaning a stalwart police constable, surrounded by a small knot of loafers who craned their necks and strained their eyes in the vain hope of catching some glimpse of the proceedings within. I had imagined that Sherlock Holmes would at once have hurried into the house and plunged into a study of the mystery. Nothing appeared to be further from his intention." With an air of nonchalance, which, under the circumstances, seemed to me to border upon affectation, he lounged up and down the pavement, and gazed vacantly at the ground, the sky, the opposite houses, and the line of railings. Having finished his scrutiny, he proceeded slowly down the path, or rather, down the fringe of grass which flanked the path, keeping his eyes riveted upon the ground. Twice he stopped, and once I saw him smile, and heard him utter an exclamation of satisfaction. There were many marks of footsteps upon the wet clay soil, but since the police had been coming and going over it, I was unable to see how my companion could hope to learn anything from it. Still, I had had such extraordinary evidence of the quickness of his perceptive faculties that I had no doubt that he could see a great deal which was hidden from me. At the door of the house we were met by a tall, white-faced, flaxen-haired man, with a notebook in his hand, who rushed forward and wrung my companion's hand with effusion. "'It is indeed kind of you to come,' he said. "'I have had everything left untouched.' "'Except that,' my friend answered, pointing at the pathway, "'if a herd of buffaloes had passed along, there could not be a greater mess. "'No doubt, however, you had drawn your own conclusions, Gregson, before you permitted this.' "'I have had so much to do inside the house,' the detective said evasively. "'My colleague, Mr. Lestrade, is here. "'I had relied upon him to look after this.' "'Holmes glanced at me and raised his eyebrows sardonically. "'With two such men as yourself and Lestrade upon the ground, "'there will not be much for a third party to find out,' he said. "'Gregson rubbed his hands in a self-satisfied way. "'I think we have done all that can be done,' he answered. "'It's a queer case, though.' and I knew your taste for such things. "'You did not come here in a cab?' asked Sherlock Holmes. "'No, sir.' "'Nor Lestrade?' "'No, sir.' "'Then let us go and look at the room.' With which, inconsequent remark, he strode on into the house, followed by Gregson, whose features expressed his astonishment. A short passage, bare-planked and dusty, led to the kitchen and offices. Two doors opened out of it to the left and to the right, One of these had obviously been closed for many weeks. The other belonged to the dining-room, which was the apartment in which the mysterious affair had occurred. Holmes walked in, and I followed him with that subdued feeling at my heart which the presence of death inspires. It was a large square room, looking all the larger from the absence of furniture. A vulgar, flaring paper adorned the walls, but it was blotched in places with mildew, and here and there great strips had become detached and hung down, exposing the yellow plaster beneath. Opposite the door was a showy fireplace, surmounted by a mantelpiece of imitation white marble. On one corner of this was stuck the stump of a red wax candle. The solitary window was so dirty that the light was hazy and uncertain, giving a dull grey tinge to everything, which was intensified by the thick layer of dust which coated the whole apartment. All these details I observed afterwards. At present, my attention was centred upon the single, grim, motionless figure which lay stretched upon the boards, with vacant, sightless eyes staring up at the discoloured ceiling.